Stay with us following this week's Crosswalk for information on Pastor Clay's new book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus, this is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. You can ignore Him. Second, you can reject Him. That only leaves one other option, and that is to embrace Him, to embrace every aspect of who He is. Have you ever heard the story of Frank Abagnale? They made a movie about his life a number of years ago entitled Catch Me If You Can. The movie tells of a young man, Frank Abagnale, who impersonates an airline pilot, a doctor, and others. He dresses the part. He tries to learn some of the lingo associated with the profession he was trying to impersonate. But eventually, the truth came out. Frank Abagnale wasn't an airline pilot or a doctor or anything else. His actions proved that he was really just a con man. In the end, our actions always prove who we really are. All right, we have our struggles, right? We have our besetting sins. We have our temptations. We have things that we, that we cave into too much. And, and Paul's writing there to the church in Rome. He says, Christ died so that you wouldn't be a slave to sin anymore. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. Well, we've reached chapter 15 in our study of the book of Mark. Today, we're in verses 1 through 41, recording Jesus before Roman Governor Pilate and his crucifixion. As Pastor Clay is going to show us today, the actions of those involved in this story are going to prove who they really were. And we'll also see that our actions really prove who we are as well. Now, here's Pastor Clay. Mark chapter 15 uh, is a powerful passage of Scripture. And, and what I want to do is, uh, is pull out some... I, I want to I prove three things to you today. I, I want you to see three, uh, three things that are proved in the text. Now, these are historical statements I'm making today. Uh, and you'll understand that in a minute. But we will make some practical applications. By the way, we're going to have to do a little bit of detective work today as well. Uh, digging into scripture, so I hope you brought your detective hat with you, um, and, uh, and if you enjoy that kind of thing, fine. If you don't, uh, somebody will wake you up when we finish that part. <laughs> Mark chapter 15, here's, here's the first proof I want to start with, and then we're going to read the text, okay? Here's what we're starting with. Pilate proved himself, by what we're going to read today, Pilate proved himself to be, say it, a coward. Mark chapter 15, beginning in verse uh, 1. Early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders and scribes and the whole council immediately held a consultation, and binding Jesus, they led him away and delivered him to Pilate. Pilate questioned him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, It is as you say. The chief priests began to accuse him harshly. Then Pilate questioned him again, saying, Do you not answer? See how many charges they're bringing against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, uh, he used to release for them any one prisoner whom they requested. Meaning Pilate, that was a tradition. They would release one prisoner at the feast, meaning the Passover, the time of the Passover. That was just something they did to appease the Jews. They would let one prisoner go. Uh, That was kind of his tradition to do. The man named Barabbas had been imprisoned with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the insurrection. The crowd went up and began asking him to do as he had been accustomed to do for them. Pilate answered them saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he was aware that the chief priest had handed him over because of envy. 
But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to ask him to release Barabbas for them instead. Answering them again, Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, Crucify him! But Pilate said to them, Why? What, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him! And wishing to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas for them. And after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, uh, I'm, I'm fully aware that any time we open your word, uh, we are on high and, and holy ground. But today, uh, we are approaching the very epicenter of our procured salvation, made possible because of the sacrifice of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, on the cross. And I pray today that as we walk through this and we talk about this, uh, that, uh, that as we look at what, what unquestionably was an historical event, uh, I pray that each of us, as we are open and in tune to your Holy Spirit, that he would make application of this historical event in our lives. I, I, don't, I can't say definitively that I know the spiritual condition of every single person in this room or every single person who will listen to this message. But if a person is in a condition where they do not yet, in a personal way, know this Jesus, they may know about him, they may have heard the stories or even read it in the Bible, or heard it in a class they've attended or watched a movie or, or something. They, they may know about Jesus, but, but if there is someone that does not know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, may your spirit be exceedingly, abundantly working in their heart and their life. But not just for the person who is lost, but for the person or persons of us who would claim Christ, would say that He is our Lord, He is our Savior, that we remember that moment in our life. Maybe a person was... 8 or 18 or, or 50 or whatever their age, that they, that they bent their will and said, Jesus, I am a sinner and I need to be saved and I believe you died to save me, so would you save me? I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. Maybe uh, most of us in this room could, could or would make that claim, uh, but Father God, still may we hear the words that perhaps we've heard a thousand times before but may they have fresh new insight and application to each of our lives, each man in this room, each woman in this room, each person in this room, each person who will listen to this message. May it have personal application so that, uh, Father, as I so often say, you will take us from where we are to where you desire for us to be. And I ask it in the strong name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Pilate proved himself to be a, say it, coward. Coward. After the religious leaders get done with Jesus with their kangaroo court and they convict him of, of blasphemy, they take him off as soon as it's daylight. Because I'm sure it wouldn't have, wouldn't have gone over well to disturb Pilate if he was still... As soon as it's early, you know, they think they can, they rush him off to Pilate for Pilate to condemn him. Pilate uh, is, the, is the governor of Judea, of the, of the region of, of Israel. Remember, at that time, uh, the Roman Empire ruled most of the known world. That, that's, that's who they were. And they would place 
governors in each of the provinces or the countries that they took over. They would place governors in there, and those governors, it was their responsibility to keep the peace, to make sure the taxes kept rolling in, and, and that there wasn't any trouble that, that, that back in Rome that the emperor didn't hear of any, any trouble. That was their job. That's what they, they did. So most of the governors, Pilate included, they were, they were strong-armed. If any kind of problem rose up, buddy, they would bring the hammer down because if word got back to to the emperor that there's probably, hey, hey they're, they're, they're rising up out there in, in Israel. Well, what's the emperor going to do? Get Pilate out of there. Get somebody else in there. So as soon as it's daylight, they, they bring uh, Jesus to Pilate because even though they condemned him in, in, as I said, their kangaroo court, they still need Roman authority to carry out the execution. They still need the Romans to, uh, to do their dirty work, uh, so to speak. Do you notice how Jesus, again, like we saw last week if you were here, do you notice how Jesus, again, responds to a truth statement? Uh, Pilate, Pilate asks him, uh, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus responds, it is as you say. But then to all the rest of the stuff, as the as religious leaders start, start throwing out all these accusations, not a word, to a lie, to a falsehood, Jesus has no response. So much so that Pilate is just absolutely amazed that this guy, he's not even, he won't even do anything. He just, he's just sitting here. He's just, he's just taking it. By the way, did you notice how, Pilate, how it specifically says, Pilate indicates that they brought all of these charges against Jesus? Well, what was it they convicted him for? You remember from last week? Blasphemy. That, that was the only thing. Remember the, the high priest, you know, are, are, you the, are, are you the Christ? Are you the, the son of the blessed one? Absolutely. And he rips his clothes. Ah! What more evidence do we need? You're all eyewitnesses. He's guilty of blasphemy. Yeah, let's kill him. Right? Y'all remember that? Okay, maybe I didn't present it exactly that way last week, but, but that was it, right? So now, did you, did you hear anything about blasphemy in there? There's no mention of blasphemy. Why? Because they know Pilate doesn't give a rip about blasphemy. Pilate is a Roman governor. His job is policy, not theology. Gods are a dime a dozen in the Roman Empire, and he could care less about blasphemy. So it's other charges that they bring against Jesus. And notice, uh, I think it's in verse 10, that he is aware that the chief priest had handed him over because of, what does it say there in verse 10? Because of envy. In verse 14, I think it is, uh, Pilate indicates that, that, that he's done nothing wrong. As a matter of fact, specifically in the book of Luke, uh, Luke says this in Luke 23, 4. He specifically said, I find no guilt in this man. And yet, when push comes to shove and the pressure is on, Pilate caves. Pilate folds to the pressure that these guys are bringing against him. Out of fear, out of self-preservation, Pilate caves to the fear that, that word will get back that, that that he upset somebody in Jerusalem or that they rose up against him in Jerusalem or, or whatever. And so, and so we, we can't have that. Now, um, Mark doesn't record it, but the other gospel writers tell us that when it became obvious that Pilate was not going to persuade the crowd, that he was not going to change their mind, they were demanding Barabbas. And not only are they demanding Barabbas, they're saying, hey, just crucify that guy. When it became clear that Pilate was not going to be able to to persuade anybody, change their minds or whatever. The other gospel, I think specifically in Matthew, tells us that, that, that uh, 
uh, Jesus took water, or Jesus made the, or Pilate made the statement about Jesus said, I am innocent of this man's blood. And he took a basin of water and symbolically he washed his hands showing that, that, he, wasn't, that he wasn't guilty. But he was. He was. He was guilty because he had the opportunity to stand up for Jesus. He had the authority to stand up for Jesus. And, and as I said, when push came to shove, he folded it like a cheap suit. He proved himself to be a coward. Now, I don't know whether this story is true. I heard this story a number of years ago, and I honestly cannot verify whether it's based on fact or not. But, but a number of years ago, I heard this story about when, when Russia was still under communist rule, and it was basically illegal to, to be a Christian or authentic Christian or follower of Jesus. And, um, there was a, a group of people gathered together out in the country in a barn um, to come together and to, to hold church, to worship uh, God and to he- hear his word and, and that sort of thing. And, and as the story goes, there were close to a couple hundred people crammed into this old barn out in the countryside. And as they were singing their songs uh, about uh, Jesus, uh, the door suddenly burst open and in comes uh, these uh, Russian soldiers with their AK-47s locked and loaded. And, uh, and the leader of the soldiers uh, yells out, uh, all Christians are going to be shot. If you're not a Christian, get out. And as the story goes, virtually every single person left the barn, took off running, scattered throughout the countryside, heading uh, for their homes. Just the, uh, the pastor and two or three women, from what I understand, are, were all that was left in there. And after everybody was scattered, the soldiers shut the doors again, and then the leader of the soldiers uh, looked at the, at the pastor and he said, we are Christians too. Now, we will worship Jesus with true Christians. <laughs> I don't know whether it's true or not. And I know this is going to sound probably kind of weird to you. But I have, I have always held a bit of sympathy for Pilate. Partly because Pilate was so close, right? He was so close to getting it. We even know from the other gospel writers that God sent a dream to Pilate's wife. And, 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 Pilate, and as soon as Pilate's wife wakes up, she comes to Pilate first thing in the morning. And she says, there's a dude coming. Have nothing to do with that man. And the text clearly indicates that Pilate knows that the religious leaders, that this is just a thing they're on. That they're envious of him. He knows they're jealous. He knows there's nothing to, to convict him on. He knows Jesus is not guilty. He knows there's no reason in the world Jesus should be scourged, much less crucified. But he was so close. And I guess the other reason I, I, I have sympathy for Pilate is because I, I know what it's like to turn my back on Jesus. Do you? I know what it's like to have the opportunity to stand for him. I've done it in my life, to have the opportunity to stand for him and to not. Out of fear, out of peer pressure, out of, out of whatever. Not stand for him with my actions. Not stand for him w- with my words. I, I, I know what that is like. And listen, I, I, I'm not, look at me. I'm not, I'm not saying that to make all of us hang our heads in shame. One of the, the beautiful things about God's grace is that he is always extending it to us. He is always saying to us that, that if we will come to him in, in, in repentance and forgiveness, we talked about this last week, that he's always picking us up and carrying us on to, to what he has for the rest of our lives. I, so I, it's not about guilt. Well, I, I'm saying all this to say that you and I uh, sometimes at some point have to learn to stand up for Jesus. You know, more and more, right? I, and I'm not, this is not political and I'm not on a, you know, 
a hate rant or, or whatever, but more and more uh, Christians are being told to sit down and shut up, right? Is that not, I mean, do y'all live in the same world I do? Sit down and shut up. If you want to have your little clubhouse meeting on Sunday, fine, do that. But don't talk about Jesus at work. Don't talk about Jesus at school. Don't talk about Jesus when you're, you're doing this or at this. Don't offend somebody that might have another belief system. Just sit down and shut up. And, and it, can I, that's to be honest with you. I'm just, and this is man speaking to me as much as I am to you. But at some point, we, we got to get a little Holy Spirit backbone. We, I mean, we really do. And say, with the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul wrote uh, to the church in, in Rome, I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. Have you ever, I, I have acted ashamed at times by, by, by my actions. I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. Pilate proved himself to be a coward. We need to prove ourselves to not be cowards. That's all I'm saying is that somewhere we got to say, you know what? Oh, it's scary to think about sharing my testimony with my neighbor. It's, it's frightening to think about uh, taking a guy that, that works next to me in the office, taking him to lunch and, and, and inviting him to come to, to cross-culture. It's scary to do that. But I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. Okay? All right. Let me get off that proof. Let me get on another one. Here's the second one. Here's the second one this morning. Simon proved himself to be changed. Now, we're going to put on our detective hats here. Y'all ready? Simon proved himself to be changed. Let me, let me read it to you. I'm excited about this stuff. I love this stuff. Verse 16. Y'all with me? All right, listen. Verse 16. Reading on. The soldiers took him away into the palace, uh, that is the praetorium, and they called together the whole Roman cohort. They dressed him up in purple, and after twisting a crown of thorns, they put it on him, and they began to acclaim him, Hail, King of the Jews! They kept beating his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling and bowing before him. Think of the mockery of all of this. The creator of the universe they are doing this to. And after they had mocked him, they took the purple robe off of him, and they put, on his own, put his own garments on him, and they led him out to crucify him. Verse 21, they pressed into service a passerby coming from the country. He's coming in, in other words, he's, he was outside the city. He's coming in. Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. Again, Mark doesn't record all the details. Mark doesn't record the scourging, right? What we call the scourging, the, the whipping, the beating with the cat of nine tails that Jesus endured. The other gospel writers uh, get into that. Uh, Mark records the mockery, the spitting, the, the hitting, the, the crown of thorns. Mark records uh, stuff like that. Now, listen to me. Uh, I have no doubt that the beating that Jesus took, the scourging that he took at the hands of the Roman soldiers, uh, I have no doubt that it would have been, uh, would have been in, incredibly hard on his physical body, on his physical strength. And anybody that's ever seen the passion of the Christ can, can identify with what, how physically that, what that physically must have done uh, to Jesus. But here's what I want, you to, I want you to hear me say this today. I don't, know, I don't know if the Roman guards were impatient. I don't know if they just were in a hurry. I don't know if they looked at Jesus after the beating and they, and they weren't even sure whether he was going to be able to make it up that hill or not. But listen to me, I want you to know this. I want you to hear this. I'm telling you that if Jesus had had to carry that cross inch 
by inch, dragging it up that hill, he would have done it. Nothing, nothing was going to keep him from his appointment with the cross and redeeming you and me. But for whatever the reason was, the soldiers uh, grab a guy. Now here's where we're, we're going to do some detective work. Y'all ready? I know I keep asking y'all that, but I'm pulling you in. Every time, I think, never mind. Okay. Okay, so uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three record that the soldiers grab a guy by the name of who? Simon of Cyrene, right? They grab a guy by the name of Simon of Cyrene. Now, it's pretty interesting to me that Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three even, even re- know the guy's name and record it. There's something, you know, why would... You know what I'm saying? It's pretty interesting to me that all, that all three of the synoptic gospel writers all mention this Simon of Cyrene. But Mark adds this little deal on the end. What is it? Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus. Well, who in the world are Alexander and Rufus? And why would Mark even mention them? And what were mom and dad even thinking when they named one of their children Rufus? I, I, think, I think I can solve this mystery. Not the name part, I, but, but why Mark mentions Rufus. You ready? <laughs> okay. Um, uh, Mark, sa- Mark throws in this little bit. He says, the father of Alexander and Rufus. It is generally agreed that the, that the uh, gospel of Mark, that Mark's recording of the events of Jesus' life, what a gospel means, the good news of Jesus, it is generally agreed that the gospel of Mark uh, was written to non-Jews, to, to Gentiles, to people, that, unless you have Jewish heritage, and I don't think there's anybody here, but, but that it was written primarily to non-Jews, and Paul has to, or, or Mark explains some stuff, and he does, all that stuff. So it's generally written to non-Jews. When it was written is is debatable, but it's a pretty safe bet to say that the Gospel of Mark was written somewhere between 20 to 40 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is also generally agreed that the book of Mark was written in Rome and was first presented to the church in Rome when Mark completed it. Are you with me? Somewhere 20 to 40 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, Mark writes his gospel letter. It's generally believed that he was in Rome when he wrote it and that it was presented to the church in Rome first. Now, here's what that means. That means that Alexander and Rufus had to be known to the church in Rome. Otherwise, there's no reason for Mark to mention Alexander and Rufus. Are you with me? There's no reason to mention Alexander and Rufus unless he was known to the church that Mark was writing to. Now that means almost without question that Alexander and Rufus had to be leaders or had to be involved or had to be part of the church in Rome at the time that Mark wrote his letter recording the the gospel accounts. And Mark identifies uh, Simon of Cyrene as the father of Alexander and Rufus, who almost without question were leaders in the church in Rome at the time Mark wrote his letter. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul mentions a Rufus in his letter to the church in Rome. In Romans chapter 16, he says, Greet Rufus, 
a choice man in the Lord, also his mother and mine. Now that, that says to me that Paul clearly has a close connection with this Rufus, whoever he is, and that his mother, Rufus's mother, has ministered to Paul at some time. Now, can we say definitively that the Rufus that Mark mentions is the same Rufus that Paul mentions? No, we can't, we can't prove it definitively, but the evidence certainly leans that way. And add to that, y'all ready? I love this stuff. Add to that this, this little bit of information in Acts chapter 13. Look at this. In Acts chapter 13, verse 1, uh, Luke is, writes the book of Acts. He says, now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Watch this. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Simeon, or Simeon, is simply another spelling of, of Simon, simply another way to spell Simon. Uh, Niger uh, means black or, or dark complected. If, as has been speculated, and, and, and this, is, this is speculation, but there are a number of biblical scholars that make this connection. Are y'all with me? There are a number of biblical scholars that make this connection. If uh, the Cyrene, which was an area in North Africa, by the way, a city, a town, a, pro- a whole area, uh, it was in North Africa. If the reference to Cyrene applies to both Simeon and Lucius, which is purely possible in the Greek, it's not common, it's purely possible for that to be. If it applies to both of them, then that means that, that there was a Simeon of Cyrene working with the Apostle Paul, teaching and leading the church in, in, in Antioch at the time. Thank you. I thought so. <laughs> now, here, here's what that means. That means that if this is the same guy, if this is the same guy that, that was teaching with the Apostle Paul, if it's the same guy that raised up two godly sons who are working in the church in Rome, then that means that it all started, listen, woo, that means it all started that day with the cross. It all started 20, 30, 40 years later, when a guy's coming in from the country, he's probably coming in for Passover. He probably doesn't even know anything about Jesus. He's probably traveled a long distance. He doesn't know anything about the, all the city being stirred up. He's just coming to the city, and suddenly he's caught up with the movement of the crowd. He's being pushed along, and in the providence of God, bam, there he is face to face with Jesus. And before he has even time to think about anything, these guards with swords and spears are grabbing him, pulling him in to carry the cross of Christ. And I, listen, I don't know. I don't know if it happened right then and there. I don't know if it happened later. But I believe that Simon's life was changed as a result of carrying the cross of Jesus. I think there was something about, about watching him die as they nailed his hands and his feet to that cross. I think there was something about hearing his words. Words like, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Perhaps Simon thought, who does that? Who is this guy? And I believe that Simon proved himself to be changed by coming into contact with the cross of Christ. Now, here we go. What about us? Is our life changed as a result of coming into contact with the cross? Because listen to me, the cross changes everything, right? The cross changes everything. First, the cross changes our position. Oh, I'm so glad. 
I am so glad. Look at this. This is a bit, bit of a, a lengthy passage, but look at Ephesians uh, chapter 2. In the past, watch, in the past, before you, before you came to Christ, in the past, you were spiritually, say it. Say it again. Say it like you mean it. Dead. You're spiritually dead because of your sins and the things you did against God. Yes, in the past, you lived the way the world lives, following the ruler of the evil powers that are above the earth. That same spirit is now working in those who refuse to obey God. In the past, all of us lived like them, trying to please our sinful selves and doing all the things our bodies and minds wanted. We should have suffered God's anger because we were sinful by nature. We were the same as all the other people, but God's mercy is great. I would put an exclamation point there rather than a comma. And he loved us very much. Though we were spiritually dead, that was our position, though we were spiritually dead because of the things we did against God, he gave us new life with Christ. You have been saved by God's grace. Your position has changed as a result of coming to contact with the cross. Look at this one real quick. Another passage just dealing with that. Colossians chapter 1. And through Christ, God has brought all things back to himself again, things on earth and things in heaven. God made peace through the blood of Christ's death on the cross. The cross changes your position. Second, look at this. The cross changes your perspective. Watch, look at this. Romans chapter 6. We know that our old life died with Christ on the cross so that our sinful selves would have no power over us and we would not be slaves to sin. You see, the old get excited about that. Because I'm telling you, what that means is that if you, all right, we have our struggles, right? We have our besetting sins. We have our temptations. We have things that we, that we cave into too much. And, and Paul's writing there to the church in Rome. He says, Christ died so that you wouldn't be a slave to sin anymore. That you've got a new perspective of who you are in Christ. You don't have to sin anymore. I know we're not perfect. I understand all that. But you don't have to give in. There's a whole new perspective that you have uh, to this uh, first Corinthians, I think first Corinthians, yeah, chapter two. I decided that while I was with you, I would forget about everything except Jesus Christ and His death on the cross. That's what Paul says to the church in Corinth. Now, does that mean that that that's all, that's all Paul talked about? Uh, Paul, what would you like for breakfast? I'd like to tell you about what Jesus did on the cross. I wish I could have done a Billy Graham impersonation, then that would have been really cool. But I can't. Uh, but no, that's that's not. No, he said uh, I'll take a, a couple of eggs and some turkey bacon. <laughs> he's Jewish they don't no, never mind so no no so it doesn't mean that Paul didn't have other stuff he talked about or other stuff he did he's a tent maker by trade he, he earns his vocation all that kind of stuff but what he's saying is this is it this everything comes off of this everything comes off the cross of Christ Whatever decisions I make, the, the way my thought processes go, the, the way I approach, the, the way I, and Paul wasn't married, but the way I approach my relationship with my, my spouse or with people, it's all based on, that's all, that's all I'm going to talk about. That's, that's how it is. My kids, uh, Travis is sitting here this morning, but I have, I have three sons, and, and they used to say, they used to get mad at me, and, I'm, and the things I certainly could have done better as a parent. I can tell you that. There's certainly ways I could have done this better. But I, this, one of the things I remember is them saying, they used to get mad at me, and because I would, you know, because they'd say, Dad, you just have to make everything about Jesus. And, and maybe there's better ways I could have done that, but, but I, I, anyway, all right, okay. Um, Galatians chapter 2. I read this last week, but here's a different translation. Different way to put it. I was put to death on the cross with Christ. Notice his perspective has changed now. I was put to death on the cross with Christ. I don't live anymore. It's Christ who lives in me. I still live in my body, but I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself 
uh, for me. Uh, one more, Galatians 6.14. I hope I will never brag about things like that. The cross of our Lord Jesus Christ is my only reason for bragging. Through the cross of Jesus, my world was crucified and I died to the world. It's a whole new perspective. That's what the cross will do to you. It'll change your perspective. It's no longer about getting the corner office or, or making X number of dollars. or nothing, nothing wrong with all that stuff, but that's not what it's about anymore. You understand? And uh, one more, the cross changes our purpose. Whole new purpose in life, ladies and gentlemen, before Christ and, and after. Whole new purpose, uh, real quickly. Uh, Luke chapter 9, some of you ought to recognize this is our theme verse. This is our, this is our official verse of Cross Culture Church. Then he said to them all, if anyone wants to become my follower, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and what? Say it, follow me. That's what, I, that's what I was talking about this morning. I was talking about Liz going to Russia and, and John and Amber going to D.C. to plant a church. It, it's that idea. It's that, oh, we're going to, oh, what are we going to do as a church? Oh, we're going to whatever. Well, you know what we're going to do? We're going to keep carrying on. We're going to keep walking with the cross of Christ and that idea. We're going to keep building disciples and we're going to keep reaching out and trying to reach other people because it's not about us. It's, it's a whole new purpose. And then one more, First Peter 2, 24. Christ carried our sins in his body on the cross so we, so here, why? So we would stop living for sin and start living for what is right. Jeez, Paul, you got to say it, say it so plain. And you are healed because of his wounds, because of the cross. See, the cross changes everything, ladies and gentlemen. I guess that's the question before we move on to the last one real quickly this morning. Has the cross changed you? Simon I believe, if I'm right about who this guy was, Simon proved he was changed as a result of coming in contact with the cross of Christ. And I guess that's the question for each of us. Does my life look different? Or am I still just as caving into sin? Am I still just as wandering around, no purpose, no no desire, no peace? No, Is my life changed because of the cross? Okay, uh, real quickly, because we're really rapidly running out of time, but I've got to get this last one. Jesus proved himself to be the Christ. Somebody say, that's right. That's right. Oh, yeah, listen. We can have church all up in this place if we have time. Uh, Jesus proved himself to be the Christ. Let me, let me read it real quick. Verse 22. Then, he, uh, then they brought him to the place, Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. Uh, by the way, not, some people think that, that there's actually a hill outside Jerusalem that kind of looks the shape of a skull. Other people say it was called that because it's just where crucifixions took place. Either way, uh, in that day, they knew it as Golgotha. They tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it, and they crucified him and divided up his garments among themselves, casting lots for them to decide what each man should take. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The inscription of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right, one on his left, and the scripture was fulfilled, which says he was numbered with transgressors. And those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, Ha! You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself and come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes, were mocking him among themselves and saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, now come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him were also insulting him. When the sixth hour came, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they began 
saying, Behold, he is calling for Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave him a drink, saying, Let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who was standing right in front of him saw the way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. And there were some women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the less, and Joseph and Salome. And when he was in Galilee, they used to follow him and minister to him. And there were many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. Jesus proved himself to be the Christ. Now listen, obviously, next week, when we get to the resurrection, we get to the resurrection next week. Y'all ready? Get to the resurrection. Never get tired of singing about, talking about, reading about the resurrection. Next week, we get to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Obviously, that is his ultimate display. That is, his, that is the ultimate proof that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God. But what I want you to see is that even in his death, even as he was dying, Jesus was proving that he was the Christ. Remember, what is, what is the Christ? What does that term mean? Messiah, that's, that's the, uh, it could be the Hebrew thing. What does it mean? It means Savior. It means deliverer. It was, it was the term, the Jews knew it, that it was somebody that was, that was connected with God, that it wasn't just an ordinary man, right? Jesus proved himself to be the Christ. Watch this. Notice how, where were we? Um, Notice in verse 24, uh, they gave him, divided up his garments among them, decide what each man should take. The Roman soldiers, they, they, they threw dice or cast lots or did whatever, uh, for, particularly for his, his inner garment that was uh, really nice. They cast, gar- they cast lots, they gambled for his garments. Watch this, Psalm twenty-two, eighteen. 18. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Uh, by the way, that's written a thousand years before Christ was even born. In verse uh, 27 and 28, uh, they crucified two robbers with him on either side. Look at this. Isaiah 53, Therefore I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong. Because why? Because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. Written 700 years before the time of Christ. Jeez i got to hurry. In, in verse 31 uh, and, and following, they're mocking him. Uh, they're making fun of him. In verse 29, it specifically says, they wag their heads. Ha, ha, ha. Oh, oh, you, Savior. Come on down off that cross. Look at this. Uh, Psalm 22, verse 7. All who see me sneer at me. They separate with the lip. They wag the head. Listen, I, there's, there's so much to say, but... On and on, you can see that he is proving he is the Christ, even in his death. And you got to say, wow, wow, Jesus, if you're just a regular guy just trying to start a worldwide religion based on you, great job. I mean, how in the world did you manage to get uh, the, those Roman soldiers to cast lots uh, for your clothing and fulfill a thousand-year-old prophecy about the Messiah? And, and how did you get uh, the, the Roman officials to, to crucify two thieves on side of you, fulfilling a 700-year-old prophecy? And, and how did you get those religious leaders to come up and wag their heads, fulfilling a 1,000 years? Do, do you see what I'm saying? He's proving that he is the Christ by fulfilling every jot and tittle of the Scriptures that said what the Messiah would endure and go through on our behalf. 
Not to mention the fact that if he is just a, just a guy starting a worldwide religion or just a man that got, got, accidentally got himself killed, if, if, if that is who he is, he somehow spectacularly managed to get himself killed precisely at the moment when some type of super solar eclipse takes place for three hours. What? What? Is there, is there any external evidence of a, of a world? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that. Listen. Listen, listen. Oh, I love this stuff. A guy, listen, listen to me. In, uh, in, one, in, uh, in 122 AD, a guy by the name of Julius Africanus. Wouldn't you love to have a name like that? I'm Julius Africanus. I mean, it, anyway. 122 AD, a guy named Julius Africanus, writing about the crucifixion of Christ, quotes a, uh, a Greek or a Roman historian by the name of Thallus. Thallus wrote a history of the of, of the of Mediterranean area, that part of the world, from the time of the Trojan Wars until his present time. In 54 AD, about 20, 20 years after the death of Christ, uh, Thallus is writing a history about the, the Mediterranean Sea region, that, that part of it. And Julius Africanus quotes Thallus talking about this, this eclipse that took place. And as Thallus puts it, a most fearful darkness as appears to me without reason an eclipse of the sun. And, goodness, Mark doesn't record it, but we know that the earth shook and all this kind of stuff took place at the moment of his death. His darkness is, on the, uh, uh, is covering the land. And Mark does record that the veil, the veil was rent, was torn in two from the top to the bottom. I was thinking about this this morning. I'd never thought about this before. You know, I've always thought... <laughs> I've always thought there was an earthquake and the earthquake tore the veil. What if it's the other way around? What if God tore the veil and it was such a traumatic moment in the history of humankind that it caused the very ground to shake because, because the veil was this, was this giant multi-layered curtain that stood between the holy place and the holy of holies where, where God supposedly met the people. And only the high priest could go into the holy of holies, Right? Where the Ark of the Covenant was. That thing from Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know what I'm talking about? That's where the Ark of the Covenant. That's only the high priest could go in there. And he could only go once a year into the place where the Holy of Holies. He could only go on what was called Yom Kippur. On Day of Atonement. On Day of Atonement. Am I talking too fast? On Day of Atonement, he would take the blood of an innocent lamb. And he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat. That lid of the Ark of the Covenant. He would sprinkle it on the mercy seat. And that the, the sins of the people would be atoned for for that year. And in that moment, on that cross in the darkness, God suddenly rents the, the veil, recognizing and, and acknowledging that the separation between sinful man and, and holy God was finally finished because the one true high priest went behind the veil once and forever and offered up his blood as the ultimate sacrifice to atone for our sins, not for a day, not for a year, but forever. <laughs> Hallelujah. What a Savior. That he would do this. Jesus proved himself to be the Christ. <sighs> listen, here it is. Got to go. I know I've kept you a little late. But listen to me. That basically leaves every single person with three options. Here's what you can do. First, you can ignore him. You can just live your life, do your thing, and just go right on. And, you know, you can do that. You can ignore him. Second, you can reject him. You can say, yeah, I've heard about this Jesus stuff, but it's not for me. Don't care for it. Don't want to have anything to do with it. Listen to me. Either of those two options will allow you to live the life you want to live. You can make the choices you want to make. You can go where you want to go. You can indulge in what you want to indulge. You can 
sin, not sin. You can be nice, not be nice. It, it, you, you can, either one of those two choices will allow you to do that. But you'll, you'll never know. You'll never know the fulfillment, the peace, the power, the purpose of your life that you can't have in relationship with Jesus Christ. You'll never know that. And you'll face an eternity as a result of a judgment for rejecting the one way that God has made for us to be forgiven. Listen, I, 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 I wish that were not the case, but I have learned in a, in a bunch of years walking with Jesus now and, and trying to preach, I have learned that most people will not follow Jesus. They will ignore him or they will reject him. That's just, that's just the truth. That's just the way it is. Jesus himself said this in uh, Matthew, uh, I think it is, uh, chapter 7. Enter through the narrow gate. The gate is wide and the road is wide that leads to hell. And many people enter through that gate, but the gate is small and the road is narrow that leads to true life. Only a few people find that road. That's just the truth. Now listen, I, sp- I plan to spend the rest of my life trying to convince people to not choose either one of those two options, but to choose that, that narrow way. You, you already know it. Jesus himself said in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. This is it, guys. This is the one way to eternal life, to forgiveness, to heaven, to, to purpose, to meaning. All of it is this way. I spend, plan to spend my life trying to convince people not to choose to ignore him or to reject him. That only leaves one other option, and that is to embrace him to embrace him, to embrace every aspect of who he is, to embrace his cross and to embrace the cross that comes to you as a result of it, to, to die to yourself and to live for him and to experience the life that God gives to you as a result of knowing him, not just the life that pie in the sky someday, by and by, when I get to heaven, oh, we're going to walk around the streets of gold and I'm sure it's going to be fabulous. But I'm not there yet and in the meantime, i got stuff going on in my life. Can God help me with that? Absolutely. If you embrace him, I, I know, will you be perfect? No. Will your life be perfect? No. But if you will embrace him, we're done. If you will embrace him, here's the truth that you will learn. John chapter 8. So if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Well, there you have it. As Pastor Clay reminded us, when it comes to what each of us does with Jesus, there are really only three options. You can ignore him, you can reject him, or you can embrace him. His fulfilling of prophecies about the Messiah certainly proved that he was the Christ. As Pastor Clay showed us today, Pilate proved himself to be a coward because he was unwilling to stand with Jesus when it counted. In contrast, there was Simon who helped carry the cross of Jesus. Evidence points to the fact that his life was changed by coming into contact with Jesus. Certainly our lives should be different as well if we have come to know Jesus as our Savior. Our actions really do prove who we are and what we really believe. We're glad you joined us for this week's Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their lives feel disconnected with the type of life and faith that they read about in the Bible. 
and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting? If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback form from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy of I Get It today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where you'll find what you're looking for. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church. Taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.